Hey everyone, it's Moshe Wanunu with a Mo News conversation. Mo News is the place where we break down all the biggest stories, we cut out the noise, stick to the facts, and give you all perspectives. With the market drop this year and all the talk of a recession, are we in it? Are we not in it? Is it coming up soon? I've been getting questions from many of you who are concerned about what this means for your investments, retirement, and financial planning. One business reporter who I really respect, I followed for a while, actually we worked together previously in a previous life at Bloomberg, is Nicole Lappin. She's a writer, author, and host of the top-rated Money Rehab podcast, so you should definitely check that out. I sent her a note last week saying I have like 150 questions for her about all things finance, all things market, recession, inflation, etc. She said, game on. So we tried to get to as many of them as we could for this week's podcast. I think you'll enjoy her no-nonsense style and her straightforward advice in this conversation. Before we get to that, a reminder to subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate your support, your reviews. Every single one of you matters. So let's get started here. I'm so pleased to welcome Nicole Lappin to the podcast. I'm a big fan of her podcast, Money Rehab, which tops the business podcast charts daily. Congrats on that, Nicole. Thank you. I mean, that and three bucks gets me a coffee, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I suggest downloading Money Rehab wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to us right now. Nicole is a financial journalist known for her work at a whole range of networks. I believe we first, uh, albeit briefly, crossed paths back at Bloomberg where she was a reporter. And then she also worked at CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, a whole alphabet soup of networks. Did you miss one in there? alphabet soup. I I don't think so. Um, she's, they're all the same, kind of. They're all a little bit the same. You know that. Slightly different logos, but you We've know. We've both been around town. They ask the same things. The executives move around. They ask for, you know, slightly different. Sometimes they're mimicking each other. Actually, Nicole, I was when I was at CBS, we got rid of some of the furniture they had bought that was literally the same furniture the Today Show had. I think because they wanted to confuse this people. high school? What is this? <laughs> this is what we're focused on? Yes, guys. Uh, that's a whole yes. separate podcast, actually, Nicole. Uh, you know, the secrets of one. network television. Um, yes, I'd watch it. Listen. You, you, and listen. Totally. You you might also know her from uh, being a frequent guest on daytime TV. She isn't done there, though, folks. Uh, she's the author, the New York Times bestselling author, I should say. Don't forget, I worked so hard for that. Four books. Yeah, so we're going to say that one more time in case you missed it. She's a New York Thanks. Times bestselling author of the following <laughs> books, Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, Becoming Superwoman, and Miss Independent. And I understand, Nicole, you got a few in the works. I do. I know. The birth, the book birth control hasn't kicked in quite yet. <laughs> I've tried many times to tie the book tubes, but we have six more and then in coming be- in hot. And six more. And then in between all of that, she's a fellow newsletter writer on the Bulletin platform, um, where you could subscribe to her Money Minute newsletter over there on bulletin.com. Nicole, is your next book on time management? <laughs> Defying space-time continuum. Exactly, exactly. So anyway. Time bitch. Time bitch. You heard it here first. Coming to you soon in the fall of 2028. So TV, social media, podcast, newsletter, New York Times bestseller. We appreciate you taking a break from all of that, Nicole, to join us today because we're talking at a time where there's the, the economy is making people feel a little shaky right now about things. Understandably so. There are scary headlines out there that 
can make anyone feel shaky about inflation, uh, interest rates, the market. And look, I think we're in a recession. As you know, it's calculated in a wonky way where you don't actually know until it's over. So we had one quarter of negative GDP. I think we're in another. Doesn't matter. In the, you know, at the end of the day, the United States has not not recovered from a single recession or decline in U.S. history. So this could actually be, if you reframe it, a buying opportunity, if you have a long time horizon and you have cash on the sidelines. Yeah, I want to get into all that. So we're reading these headlines. I think there's a there's a specific nonprofit with like a couple hundred economists that will determine at some point if we're actually in a recession, though we sort of kind of are. Most people are saying that, though, you you know, every day there's a new headline. The Niber folks. Which Those one? folks know how to party. I think it's a Niber or something. Niber. Yes. Yeah. The NEBR, the National Economic <laughs> Something of Bureau Research, um, who, you know, we're going to be finding, getting that headline sometime next year to tell us we were in a recession, we're out of the recession, et cetera. So I was just reading headlines from Larry Summers saying the same thing. Um, so we have these warnings about a recession. The market has had a, a huge collapse this year. At the same time, unemployment is pretty low. And there are more jobs available than ever, it seems. So how, how do you describe the state of this economy? Um, and what are the biggest questions you have right now and the biggest questions you're getting right now from the people who follow you? I think there's a lot of comparison to the 2008-2009 time period. I think those are wrong. I think this is more analogous to the 2001 decline. Um the 2008 time period, the guts and the plumbing of the financial system were, can I say, effed? It was, they were effed. They weren't working. It wasn't working. You, you are the author of Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch. You can go, <laughs> go feel comfortable here. I just want to be respectful of your peeps. <laughs> um, so it, it was not working. That's not the case right now. Uh, we're seeing recessionary forces. Uh, we're seeing for the first time in more than a decade, normal interest rates. Uh, it wasn't going to continue uh, to be zero interest rates forever. I'm surprised it took us this long. But what's different than 01 is the speed at which information moves. You and I were joking about using a Thomas Guide and a phone book. But seriously, back then, information moved much slower. So I think it was slower in and slower out. And so I think we're going to get in and out more quickly. I think we've talked with inflation. I get a lot of questions about inflation and interest rates and what the Fed is doing and why would you raise interest rates right now during inflationary times and how does that help stuff and why would you encourage people to not spend more money? So I think there's a lot of confusion about those moves, understandably so. There's too much jargon in this world anyway. The question's I have are, you know, why people are still not taking advantage of the beautiful, amazing force of compound interest if they have money right now. Putting money in your checking account or keeping it in there is what a lot of young people do. And so I would like to know why that is. Uh, and maybe you can help me answer that because you're a young person. I, I was a young person once. I'm an elder millennial now, entering my 40s, now. Nicole. But I will tell you that it took me a long time to start to get my financial education. And that comes despite the fact that I worked at a place like Bloomberg in my late 20s. 
Um, and uh, you know, we'll talk with friends, you know, like the things we learned in high school, the things we didn't learn in high school is how to do your taxes and like basic, how to do a business plan, any of that stuff. And we find ourselves now, like where I'm sitting here at 40, I've been a journalist for many, many years. And I'm like, wait, okay. So recession, what does that mean for me? And what should I be doing to protect myself? And, And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, especially as we hear this talk, as we kind of all assume we're in a recession is what are the, is there a checklist that you think, regardless of age, and I'm sure it changes if you're 20s or in your 60s, depending on where you are in your life, what checklist should you be going through right now as we enter this period of time? I think the checklist should be having an emergency fund, first and foremost. I'd been talking about this for years, and people would be like, emergency? That doesn't happen. A global (laughs) pandemic? This sort of thing. My life is going to be fine. (laughs) Okay. Now, I don't want to say I told you so, but we get it. Emergency funds are important. So emergency funds, first and foremost, you know, it drives me crazy when I get all these questions about crypto and like this idea about getting rich quick easily. It's not a thing. And also, you shouldn't even be talking about crypto if you don't have an emergency fund or a retirement account or a a bunch of boring things. I don't want to have fun, sexy finances. I want to have boring, safe, steady finances. You want to have fun? Go on Tinder. You want to get your financials (laughs) together? Go on Charles Schwab or wherever. They are not paying me. I'm just giving you an example. Fidelity, Vanguard, whatever. It doesn't need to be fun. Why? We don't need to gamify any of this. We need to get an emergency fund, contribute to retirement accounts. The more the merrier when it comes to retirement accounts. So 401ks, if you have them at work, uh, do not exclude you from IRAs or individual retirement accounts. So I would start there. Um, I would also try to have a normal brokerage account. So, uh, you know, at any of those places that I mentioned, You could also do Ally or E-Trade or those types of places. Brokerages are different than banks. You can buy investments at brokerage accounts. And, you know, I would say that would be your sort of emergency toolkit. What is it? Starter pack? Is that what the kids are saying? (laughs) A recession starter pack. Folks, you're listening to millennials. So I will have to bring a Gen (laughs) Z financial uh, person to, to know what the new trending uh, term is there, Nicole. But but when you say emergency fund, I want to just put it in practical terms for people. Like, you know, how many months rent am I talking about? Like, basically translate for me what emergency fund, what, what a good emergency fund is. So it'd be three to six months in traditional times of all of your bare bones expenses. So I break down a spending plan. So that would be a budget. But I like to think of it as a spending plan because it doesn't feel as scary. It reminds me of an eating plan instead of a crash diet that allows you to have small indulgences. so You don't end up binging later on where you have to include stuff like a latte or fun stuff. It's never going to work if you do this cold turkey like the apocalypse is coming style. So three to six months, if you have a more precarious job, if you're a freelancer, if you're a real estate agent or a model or somebody that works on commission, I would say longer, the better. And keep that in something that is liquid. And that doesn't have to necessarily mean your checking account or your savings account, but it's something that's easily accessible, has low risk, um, and is going to be there, hello, in case you have to break it in case of emergency. And, you know, I would say there are different tiers of lifestyle. I would say there's rich enough, 
pretty rich and super rich kind of lifestyle. I was broke and in a bunch of debt in my former life. And I lived on brown rice and beans because it felt fancier than ramen. So emergency fund is like the brown rice and beans fund. You're not going out to dinners and stuff like that. If you need to break in case of emergency, it's an emergency. So so, uh, so there's emergency fund, three to six months uh, of your life. Um, upgrade accordingly if you're not into ramen. But that said, um, beyond that, one question as we see interest rates increasing is, you know, if you're in debt right now, I mean, should you be just trying to pay off as much as possible, even though that's not necessarily the advice people typically get? Is there anything else that as we, again, look at the, these headwinds of increased interest rates in a recession that people should be looking at doing in the short term? Yes. So increased interest rates are not bueno for people in debt, credit card debt, um, if you're looking to get into debt. So that means a mortgage, a car loan, a business loan, any kind of loan. Uh, On the flip side, it's good for savers because for so long we'd be getting nothing at the bank, you know, 0% as a return. Now we're going to start seeing real returns because the flip side of that interest is that you're going to be getting more interest love when you put your money away, CDs, those types of vehicles. So if you have debt, I would definitely prioritize paying down your highest interest rate debt first. And that is always going to be your credit card debt. So I typically rank it by, and I like to prioritize to pulverize. This is how I got out of my own debt. Um Typically, credit cards, uh, car loans, mortgages, and then student loans in that sort of descending order. Because if we're keeping it real, creditors can take away your house. They can take away your car. They can't take away your brain. I like that. So we have uh, the emergency fund. Then we have starting to pay down your debt. And then we have... um, you know, a place to put your money and hopefully grow your money. And there's always talk in the day um, about a 60-40 mix, 60 equities, 40 bonds. Um, You know, it feels like that's changed over time. And obviously it changes for those people in their 20s who are 40 years away from retirement and people in their 50s who might be a couple years away from their retirement. What is the mix these days? Um, And as you suggest to folks or people are, you know, saying, okay, fine, Nicole, I'm going to take up your advice and open a Fidelity or E-Trade account. What is the mix I should be putting my uh, money into? So another rule of thumb is take your age as a percentage in bonds. So for you, that breaks down to 40, 60. Oh, wow. I'm exactly at 60, 40 right now. Okay. (laughs) As you mentioned. Um, But the rationale behind that is, you know, if you're 20, you shouldn't have 40% in bonds. You should take on more risk because you have more time. So the rationale behind your age as a percentage of bonds is that the lower the risk, the lower the reward, but you want to be less risky the older you get. So I would take that if you're just starting out as a good you know, benchmark for where you could be going with safer investments and more risky ones. Because yes, the bonds are safe and basic, Uh, And I do love safe and basic when it comes to money, but it's not going to get you the returns over time that the market has yielded, which is 10% before inflation. Right now, bonds have ticked up too because of interest rates. So, you know, the 10-year benchmark treasury, I think, is above 3% at the time we're talking. Um, Last year, it was 
below one and a half percent. So you'll be getting some yield, but you're not going to be getting the same amount as you would from the market. So it's really, really hard. This is the secret of Wall Street, as I'm sure you figured out during your time covering Wall Street. You can't beat the market. It's really, really hard. A lot of you know fund managers have great PR people or say they can beat the market. So few actually do. So my best suggestion is index funds and chill. Index funds track an index. So if you don't know what an index is, it's like when you hear on the news, the S&P is up or down, the Dow is up, down. Those are indexes or indices, tomato, tomato. And when you buy an index fund, you're basically buying a little piece of all of those companies. So when you buy an S&P 500 index fund, which, by the way, Warren Buffett put in his own will for his own wife to buy a majority of Vanguard S&P 500, low-cost S&P 500 index funds um, for that same reason. If something goes down, something else props it up. If something goes really down, they get booted out of the index anyway, because there's you know, a lot of rules about where you have to be in order to be in an index. So I would not look at stock charts all day long. I don't. I put my blinders on because I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. I don't want a quick fix. There's an old dad joke that's like, if you want to double your money, fold it in half. And that's real. <laughs> There's no quick, easy way to get rich. There there was for a brief moment with Dogecoin for like a couple days in a meme <laughs> stock me started. here and there. Do you follow my dog on Instagram? She's at DoggyCoin, by the way. <laughs> So index index show. funds are basically a bet on the larger economy. And like a lar- all the major companies you've heard of before, a number of them you heard of before are these index funds. And that was one of the five uh, things you listed in a recent podcast and newsletter about how to um, make money during the recession. Um, and I believe the headline on one of them was breaking news, bonds are sexy. Explain to us, uh, you were talking about I-bonds and treasury bonds as two places to be putting your money right now. I-bonds are my favorite. Uh, You can't put a ton of money um, in I-bonds. I mean, it's relative, of course. You can put as little as 25 bucks or as much as $10,000. So uh, series I-bonds, I standing for inflation. That's where you inflation protect your money. So you have to buy these at treasurydirect.gov. Other kinds of bonds and treasuries are bonds issued by the government. You can get at brokerages, you can get through your retirement accounts. Uh, you can get them direct too. Series I bonds, you have to just go to treasurydirect.gov. It sounds governmenty, and it is, but it's pretty easy to get. And the annualized rate right now is 9.62%, and inflation just came in at 9.1%. We were at 8.6%. Um, and so this is my favorite investment for right now. And then treasury bonds as well. You listed those. Yeah, treasury bonds, um, you know, I don't know why they call them weird names depending on the duration, but a bond being 10 years, anywhere between one year and 10 is a note or a bill is shorter than that. So uh, we're seeing like lower durations similar in yield to the 10 year, which economists will say is another indicator that we're in a recession. But regardless of that, uh, you are getting more return than you used to with bonds. That's why I most think they're sexy. Breaking news from Nicole Lappin. You heard it here first, folks. Um, so the, one last thing you listed there was real estate investment trusts. And you talked about that as an alternative or um, an alternative if you can't necessarily buy a 
a, a house or a piece of property. Explain explain what those are and how you go about investing in those. Or both, uh, even if you do own uh, property. But uh, if you don't own a home and you want exposure to the gains in real estate or you don't want to have investment properties, you know, this was this idea that was pushed by um, rich dad, poor dad. And, you know, this idea that having passive income, you have to have investment properties. If that's your jam, get after it. And I talk about in my last book, uh, how to do that well. I personally don't like it. Uh, I don't want to deal with tenants. I don't want to fix their plumbing. Like, it's just not a thing I want to do. Um, personally. So I like to invest in real estate investment trusts or REITs. And you can buy and sell public REITs just like you would a stock. Um, And what's cool about REITs, you can also buy private REITs. Uh, They're less liquid, but they give dividends. All REITs, the way they're taxed, I won't bore you with super fun taxation, but uh, they give dividends. And so what are dividends? They're like little presents from these companies, depending on how many shares you have. So when you reinvest your dividends, that's when you start to see this beautiful force of compound interest that I talked about, where your money is literally making money for you while you're sleeping. This is the thing, you know, as an immigrant's daughter, I grew up like only using cash, thinking cash was a thing. I didn't understand a mortgage. Um, yeah, we're, I, I we're, didn't even know what a mortgage We are both first generation. And that is the lesson I got in my household too, from my dad was everything in cash. We buy our cars in cash and we That's keep right. everything in cash. We don't trust these markets. Right. And if you don't have cash, you don't buy it. And there's a lot of good lesson in there. Uh, but, you know, I think that's unrealistic, especially as you're building wealth, long-term wealth, generational wealth. You're going to want to use some of these vehicles. If used well, they're amazing growth vehicles. Um, but, yeah, I forgot what I was saying before because I was just thinking of a recent um, – common thread I found with all immigrants, depending on no, and no matter where they're from, you and I happen to have the same immigrant background, uh, but none of them use the dishwasher. It was a storage area for <laughs> bags from the market. You know what? We Now that you think of it, I never really thought of it, but like, yeah, we didn't often, uh, we, we split our time, even with the dishwasher, it would often sit yeah. unused. Anyway. There's a Good whole times. Yeah, listen, Nicole. Like like the many books you have, it sounds like there are several episodes of a po- several editions of this podcast we need to do where we just deep dive into several topics. So I, we we talked a bit there about the housing market, and I am curious about that because I think a lot of people are um, either made an effort to get you know to buy a home during COVID. We've ever you know we've seen prices go insane. Now the Fed is in fighting is fighting inflation, raising interest rates, now making it more difficult to get a mortgage. Prices seem to be cooling. What is your general advice when it comes to buying a home? And and how are you adapting that advice when it comes to this environment or this quickly changing environment? You shouldn't even think about buying a home until you have your recession starter kit on point. It, it Before you have uh, an emergency fund and your retirement accounts maxed out and the rest of your financial house in order, it's not time to think about buying a house. A house is not a good investment. A house, like a primary home, is a home. 
It's a place you nest your face off. It's a place you make memories. And it's all of these other warm, fuzzy things. And by the way, if you want to buy a house for that reason, that's as good a reason, in my opinion, as any. But don't be delusional and say that it's a good investment. Uh, the largest housing study done over time by the folks at Case Schiller, uh, you know, sh- sh- prove that. And you'll get better returns in the market inflation adjusted than you will with real estate. So you're you're you, you're breaking another first generation immigrant lesson I learned, I which is you have to buy a house, you have to buy a house, you have to buy a house. You can buy a house. Uh it's not for everybody though and it's not gospel. And by the way, nothing Mosh in the financial world is gospel. Right. Uh the the financial gods are not going to come down and beat you up if you don't buy a house or if you buy a latte. And so it's really important to remind folks to think for themselves around these sort of seemingly tried and true tried and true pieces of financial advice. It's like when I became vegetarian when I was 12, I think. Um, I grew up, you know, in that immigrant family eating a lot of lamb and meat and stuff. And, um, you know, and I was Jewish growing up. And so I asked myself, do I want to be Jewish? Do I want to uh, eat meat? And the answer was to being Jewish was yes. I I like being Jewish. So I'm going (laughs) to keep doing that. The answer to eating meat was no. So it's that moment where you ask yourself, like, just because it's been done a certain way doesn't always mean that's the way it needs to be done. And by the way, it could be the same. But that moment of like asking yourself, self, is this for me? It's really important to do in eating habits and religion for sure, but also with your financial decisions. So don't take as gospel that you need to buy a house. You don't. Um, a lot of rich people don't own homes. They rent because once you put a big chunk of money into a down payment, Unfortunately, a lot of folks become house poor and you're tying up a bunch of liquidity that could be put to work uh, into a home, into bricks and mortar and whatever a home is made of. And so if you want to use that in the market or otherwise, uh, you can't. And it's really hard to pay at the grocery store with a mortgage if, God forbid, something happens, you lose your job, your spouse does, you get sick, whatever. Um, So I would just be really careful and make sure that the rest of your financial house is in order before even thinking about home buying. And, And by the way, the last thing I'll say is just because interest rates are still historically low, by the way, in the 80s, early 80s, there were 20%. So yes, they're going up, but they're not as high as they could be. Um... And so interest rates shouldn't be a reason for you to buy a house. This is like the tax or interest rate tail wagging the financial dog. I haven't totally ironed out that analogy, but like this when people say, oh, I'm doing it for a write-off. You're doing it for, you're buying a million dollar house for a write-off? Like, is that, <laughs> is that a joke? Tell us how you really it's feel, not a joke. Tell us how Mosh. you really feel. <laughs> well, yeah, I, so I, I, I translate what you just said into a couple of things, which is one, it's okay to rent, even though it does feel like you're, you know, throwing away money every month. And but the But work- you're not because there's a cost of living, right. Mosh. Right. There is. You literally throw away food after you eat it because it goes away the other way. You don't say like I'm throwing away money by buying food. Right. Like there's a cost to live. Yeah. No, you, you, and, you, you, 
You and make- you don't get a lot of money back, by the way, when you own a home. You don't get closing costs back. You know, you look in the mirror and you're the landlord. So if the plumbing breaks or, you know, there's a flood or whatever, you fix it. Make sure you have that money to do those things because it will be your responsibility and you never get that money back. Right, right. It's, it's having that fund available for when the boiler breaks or when the you got to replace the roof or, you know, all these things that you don't think about. And then they happen to you and you're like, wait, that's, I whoa. That's $20,000. Yeah. That's $15,000. Yeah. Um, and when you're comparing prices over the years, if you're saying, you know, but grandma bought a home and it was, you know, 50 grand when she bought a home and then it was 500 grand when she sold it. Like, hold on. Did we account for inflation? Like when grandma bought that house, yeah. movie tickets were a cent. Right. You know, so just remember that. Uh, when you're comparing these I, prices. You, you know, it was notable. Somebody was running numbers on gas prices 50 years ago versus today. And we're actually paying, even at $5 less. gas, less per gallon yep. than we were paying 50 years ago. Um, yep. So anyway, something to keep in mind. By the way, that doesn't take away the pain of paying 100 bucks to it fill your car not. right now, but just something notable. So we talked about, as we talk about housing, you know, obviously re- we're seeing record rental prices. So I guess it's like, well, where's a guy to live? Uh, between you know renting, buying a home, etc., it's 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 become a real a real challenge, a real concern in the marketplace. And like, how long can that last? Um, as we as we look ahead to these coming months, and I guess I mean we're seeing the cooling of the market. Do you? I mean, I, I don't ask you to uh, make predictions here, Nicole, but what, what's your sense of what you're seeing out there in the housing market? So, the only thing you can ultimately can control is yourself. You can't control the macro economy. You can't control the housing market. You can only control you and your own little economy. And so when you're thinking about, you know, what's a guy to do or what's a gal to do with rent or uh, with a mortgage payment, break your spending plan down, I do, into the three E's. And I do love alliteration. So essentials, endgame, and extras, where 70% of your overall spending plan goes to the essentials. So that's your food, your housing, your transportation, all the costs of living. And no more than half of that, so 35% of the whole shebang, to housing. So make sure you're at least try to keep it close. And by the way, there's wiggle room there. If you live in New York and you don't have transportation costs, like you can adjust. But generally, that's a good rule of thumb to start with. Uh, and then 15% to the extras. So the latte, the mani-pedi that I'm sure you love. Um, the, <laughs> the avocado toast. Yes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then 15% to the end game. So your Series I bonds, your retirement, your f- everything that you're spending on your future self. And I like to think of it that way because like this idea of saving feels like I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to, you know, it's just a deep, dark abyss of more stuff I that comes out of my paycheck. But you're spending on your future self. You change your mindset. So, be, so we talked about some of these big ticket items. And I wonder just as we're heading into this, you know, recession or we're in this recession or whatever this is, whatever the NEBR tells us we are in at some point, what... As we look at this, are there other things you recommend buying right now or, frankly, avoiding, um, you know, as people look at buying a a car or investing in certain things? Are there certain things that basically are a no-no for 22, 23, or you're like, no, no, you should get on this now, given where we're at in in this kind of economic cycle? You mentioned a car is a terrible time to buy, especially a new car. Um, So please try not to do that. In general, buy used cars cheap, run them into the ground, sell them later on. Um, But 
the supply chain has really inflated car prices right now. So if you don't have to buy a car. Unfortunately, I got in a car accident uh, earlier this year. I'm all good. Um, But I needed to buy a new car. And if I didn't, there was no chance I would have. So I would try to avoid that. Um, If you have a lease, though, a lot of dealerships are um, paying premium to turn cars back in because they're in such high demand and there's such low supply. Supply and demand, baby. Yeah, as as we're the finding out, the important thing I learned in my economics class. I, well, I mean, that's literally what the you know every time people ask about the Fed and what they're doing, and like, are we in you know how do we deal with inflation and how do we deal with gas prices? Like, well, how, if you keep buying gas, no matter how high it goes, you know you were, we're playing a big game here, folks. That's that's all it is. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> game, <laughs> supply and demand. Also, buy low, sell high. I think those are the only truisms on Wall Street. Yeah, it's better to beat low expectations, buy low, sell high, and that's why when people are freaking out because we've had the first half of the year in the stock market, yes, be the worst in fifty years since nineteen seventy. Uh, that's scary stuff. You want to like curl in the fetal position and hide and not buy more, but. If you remember the buy low, sell high truism, I said there's very few truisms, if any, that's one. So this is not the high, this is the low. So what is? So what does that mean? What do you do in the low? Uh, though, though I guess that the, it's always sad though when you look at your 401k to be like, wait, now is the time I got to put more money in this place where it, it feels like they've taken away. It's on sale though, Mosh. Not everything's on sale, by the way. High quality investments are on sale. Uh, And by the way, your morning paper losses. Did you really lose money? Did you lose money? Right, right. The only two days that matter with investments are the day you buy and the day you sell. Everything else is noise. There you go. Big old roller coaster. Third truism. There you go. Um. You, I think you briefly, heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. It's our new catchphrase, trademark. So um, yeah, I think you mentioned it briefly, um, crypto has had an even more epic collapse than uh, equities. Are you invested? Do you have a dollar in any of the crypto? And, you know, as a question, uh, that's question number one. And question number two is, um, how should people be thinking about it? There's still a trillion, it's still a trillion dollar marketplace. There's still some countries that have, you know, made it their currency. There are still people who believe in it. Institutions have gotten behind it. Um, What is the state of crypto as far as you're concerned? If you've been listening to Money Rehab, if you're a longtime listener, you know my feelings on crypto. Um, I'm not surprised with the moves we're seeing. I've always suggested to only put 1% of your net worth in crypto. Uh, Everybody has a net worth, not just rich people. It's your assets minus your liabilities. So everything you own minus everything you owe is your net worth. So you can afford to lose 1% of your net worth. You kind of can't afford to miss out on the gains if 1% becomes 100%. So, uh, you know, it is in that category of after everything is done. Like, don't talk to me about crypto if you don't have an emergency fund. Don't I don't even want to hear it if you have a bunch of credit card debt. That's not a thing. This is like very, very highly risky, but potentially highly rewarded investments. These are things that, uh, again, keep to one percent of your less than one percent of your net worth if you can. Um, I I personally have a maybe less than 1% of my net worth in Bitcoin. Um, I like to think of it not as something that's going to replace the US dollar, 
that's not a thing. It's not going to replace the world's reserve currency backed by you know, the most powerful military. Sorry, tech bros. It's not going to happen, I think. Um, and the countries that are, you know, um, that are using this because of ridiculous inflation, uh, I, that's absolutely happening and as an important tool. I like to think of it more as an allegory to like a visa or a stripe versus a whole currency because crypto is fueling a lot of the web3 activities for sure and what's valuable there I think are the transaction costs. And so that's why I think of it more like a stripe or a visa which is by the way valuable doggy coin. Is very doggy coin right now uh, you're hearing um them in the background. Penny. 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 <laughs> She's the mascot of money we got. Penny's Penny, I know you get excited by crypto. It's okay. <laughs> she yeah, she she has her own ideas when it comes to she doesn't like to hear the criticism. These she's people. my she's my daughter. She's my furry daughter, so it makes sense. <laughs> um one one final thing I want to get to, and it's sort of the final thing because it's the sort of final stage of your of your life, which is retirement. Um and how people should be approaching what are the what are the things that frustrate you most about how people approach their retirement? The things that they the easy things they could be doing to ensure an easier retirement um, as they kind of move their way through the workforce through the years. I am usually uh, a big optimist and certainly not an alarmist uh, about anything in the financial world because it's scary enough. Retirement scares me most. I talked about this in Miss Independent. This is the thing that worries me. Um I think we're seeing the generation who has only used a 401k come into retirement and think they're getting a pension and they're not. A 401k is not a pension. It's not replacing your income and you pay taxes when you take money out of a traditional 401k. So that's what worries me. The tax situation, you know, a lot of folks don't realize that traditional vehicles, 401ks, um, traditional IRA, you pay taxes later. Roth, you pay taxes now. Um, so you don't pay taxes later. Anyway, it's good to have a mix of them. But that's what I'm scared about in the general you know, economy is that we're going to have a lot of people who you know, may have put a little bit in retirement and most people don't even. And so I'm scared. So given your fears, what are things, I mean, people who are putting all their eggs in the 401k basket, so Nicole, what should I be doing? How are other ways I should be protecting myself? So, uh, you know, my, my years of retirement are a little easier. So maxing out your 401k is awesome, especially if you have an employer match. Um, it doesn't preclude you don't have to like put a ring on your retirement account it doesn't preclude you from doing a bunch of other vehicles and by the way if you own a business like i do you have other options super fun options this is how i have a good time i look at uh, so many retirement options like a sep or a simple which is not simple by the way but that's a different podcast um so there are a lot of different vehicles and options out there uh you just need more than one uh, you you just mentioned it as somebody who owns their own business, um, and that's been a big move. I think I saw numbers this week in terms of the number of Americans who own their own business is the highest in nearly twenty years. 
Um, we've been watching the great resignation, record number of people switching jobs. Um, one final thing to think about is your employment situation now as we head into or are in a recession. Um, how, how does that factor into the way people are making decisions about, you know, their careers right now? You have a, a lot of bargaining power, you know, in any negotiation, and you've worked for a bunch of companies as have I, it's all about leverage, right? And so you can get leverage in a lot of different ways. But if there is back to supply and demand, more demand than there is supply right now at companies, then you have the leverage there. So, you know, make sure you are taking advantage of that. So, so utilize this period of time where there's way too many jobs, not enough people, and companies are desperate, desperate to keep you and desperate to have you. Yeah. And I love negotiating. It's the, my favorite sport, maybe the only cardio I'm getting lately. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of scripts that you can use or borrow. Um, I uh, have recorded myself negotiating my own things so you can hear it and actually how that goes. Because I think a lot of people know in theory that they should negotiate, whether it's their bills. And by the way, you you can and should negotiate the APR in your credit card. Everything's negotiable. And this is, by the way, why I think some of the immigrant lessons are important. Because while it was all cash, right? It was also like negotiate for things which would be so embarrassing to me growing up. But now I'm like, now I'm like an expert Jedi master in negotiation. Uh, oh, it's my favorite thing when you, you know, you can still do it in like shooks, like abroad in Istanbul or whatever. But it's like, okay, I know you've listed that price, <laughs> but how much, how much can I, if I walk out of the shop, what are you going to offer it to me at? But by the way, that's a thing for, you know, not just shooks and flea markets and whatever. It's also for your cell phone bill and yeah. your and medical debt. And even at the grocery store, if you see something that's nearing the sell-by date, ask them for a discount. The only thing anyone can say is no. Nicole, I, I want to end by asking a personal question, which is, how did you end up getting into financial journalism? And what do you love most about being a uh, financial media maven and giving people advice on a day-to-day -day basis? It's a great question, Moj. It's a beautiful one to end with. Uh, I hated finance. Um, I didn't know anything about finance growing up, uh, and I never thought I ever would. I started actually as a poetry major in college, so if I could do this, Anyone could do this. Um, had a super broken home. You know, I talk about in my last book, bailing my mother out of jail using cash. And I had a lot of like financial trauma. And so I um, even had a boyfriend in high school who said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. And I thought he wanted to be in gardening, um, <laughs> like the most clueless you could possibly be. And then I needed a job. And I uh, wanted to be in television because I thought that's where you made the big bucks, which, you know, I started $18,000 a year. Um, and I stalked a station chief in Chicago uh, for a job in Milwaukee that I thought was going to be my big break, big market Milwaukee. So for younger people um, where you can just go on YouTube or be on a reality show and then be on network TV, back in the day, you sort of went to smaller places and then worked your way up, which is what I did. I worked in Lexington, Kentucky and Sioux Falls, South Dakota and you know whatever. 
So I went in there and I said, I really want a job in Milwaukee. And you being from Chicago, no, because I'm not from Chicago. Uh, it was the first time I bought socks ever because I grew up in LA. I was like, I'm going to go to, I'm going to commute to Milwaukee every day. <laughs> like it seems close. That's, on a, the map. that's a nice two hour drive each way, Nicole. <laughs> I'm just going to go. It's a CBS station. Like this is a very big break. So the station chief was like, no, you don't get this job. But do you know anything about business news? <laughs> and I was schwitzing to throw down some Yiddish like no other. Um, I thought I was going to break out into hives and uh, I knew nothing, nothing, zero. I was 18 at the time. And what do you think I said? Of course. Absolutely. Of course. I love business news. I love it so much. All day, every day, twice on Sunday. I've always dreamed about being on the floor of the Merc. Yes. That's right. And that's where I was. Went to the floor of the Merc, which I thought was a mall at first. Didn't know it was a stock exchange. Didn't even know what a stock exchange was. And I realized that money is a language like anything else. I just didn't have a Rosetta Stone for that language growing up. But once I could speak the language, I ultimately then spoke it to the world. And now I'm teaching other people, um, you know, like my former self who felt super clueless. It feels empowering. And like any other language, you know, you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you'll be really confused. But once you do, you're like, oh, duh, that, that was easy. How did I not know that? And now it's like, oh, duh, reads whatever. You know, my former self would be like, that sounds so complicated. Right. Because they didn't speak the language. And so I think it's really important to speak the language because the language constantly changes. You know, in my last book, I I think I snuck in at the very end NFTs and crypto, but even the financial language keeps changing all the time. So the sooner you have the base, the more you can do with it. So I got into it totally by accident. I hated it. Um, I wasn't like sitting around looking at spreadsheets or the Wall Street Journal with my family growing up, like none of that. Um, and so I just needed a job and I figured it out. And for a while, I really hated it. Um, truly, I thought Wall Street sucked and like helping rich people get richer sucked and I wasn't doing anything with my life until I made it my dream job and I found the shaded part of the Venn diagram of things that I loved and things that my job needed me to do. And then I found the middle part. So I became a writer, not a poet. So not the kind I expected. Well, and that's okay. And there's no shame to paying your bills. And that's why I will argue with a lot of these entrepreneurial experts who are like YOLO, FOMO, whatever, yo, just go out and, you know, burn your corporate bra and like start that alpaca farm and or artisanal cheese shop in Brooklyn, if not now, when? It's like, no, 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 hold on. Like, I couldn't sit under a tree and read poetry or write poetry all day long. And so that's the that's the reality. You, I, I needed to make money. That's okay. You have to find the middle ground between your something you're passionate about and that you're happy doing, but also something that is something people need and are willing to pay for, potentially. That's right. Um, Nicole, uh, there's a lot of people grateful that you've made that decision um, and you didn't open that alpaca farm or that uh, cheese shop in Brooklyn. There's, by the way, some wonderful cheese shops in Brooklyn as a resident of Brooklyn. Um, so that's a highly competitive space. Anyway, but thank you for uh, bringing your insight, your wisdom. You're a funny man. It's really nice to see you uh, in, in front of the camera asking the questions. I like it. 
Our thanks again to Nicole Lappin for her insight. You can check out her podcast, Money Rehab, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. She provides daily financial insights, uh, perspectives, sometimes interviews. You can also check out her Money Minute newsletter over at Bulletin. You can read more from this conversation over at my newsletter, the Mo News newsletter, over at monews.bulletin.com. And of course, follow me on Instagram for all of your news needs 24-7 at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. We plan to continue to bring you regular conversations and perspective from experts, leaders, and journalists involved in some of the biggest news stories. So we appreciate your support for Mo News, where we try to break things down, tell it to you straight, and just stick to the facts. See you back here tomorrow for another Mo News podcast.